Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. Redcast Nation has officially grown to over 11,000. We've blown by Lexington to be the 17th largest city in Nebraska, and you're next, Chalco, an unincorporated region of southwest Omaha. All right, I'm also with Mac. What's going on, Redcasters? I don't know if you've heard the news or not, but we're replacing the turf in Memorial Stadium. What do you think a chunk of that turf is going to go for with all the winds it's seen? (laughs) Anyone looking to redo their yard? (laughs) It hasn't been the best turf. It probably has seen the fewest winds of uh, any of the turf that's ever sat at Memorial Stadium. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I just figure if uh, one of these three hot takes actually scores and goes in we're still doing better than the husker basketball team at free throws lately so got that going for us as a podcast (laughs) well there's obviously you know we need better coaching on our podcasting to improve that percentage of the hot take boomer so a hot take analyst maybe is what we need yeah well we'll we'll get to basketball here at some point i do want to talk about our free throw shooting woes but probably the big news that we want to tackle first honky is the departure or at least at least the temporary departure i should rephrase that of jd spillman who will not be with the team during spring ball. He has um, gone back to Minnesota for a personal health matter. Uh, my understanding, he is still enrolled at the university in classes. Uh, his eligibility is, is fine. Um, and in the statement that Scott Frost released, it does indicate that they think he'll be back. But we, we may know that, you know, that may not be the case, right? We're going to have to a little wait and see here. Um, so your initial reactions react- on J.D.'s departure? Yeah, I hadn't heard about that. <laughs> a rumor kept for, uh, poorly for, for weeks to months on end. Well, and yeah, and actually that's true, Dave. It has been, it wasn't really that shocking no. because it had been something we had been hearing about dating back to literally someone sent us the first thing about it the day after Iowa. Mm-hmm. You know, first and foremost, I just want the kid to be okay, whatever is going on there. And, and you know, I don't begin to even pretend like I have any inside information there. And nope. if I did, I wouldn't even talk about it anyways. I think one of the things is to, to probably try to put yourself into someone else's shoes for a second. And this is a kid that he came in here with Riley and that staff. And, mm-hmm. and literally everything that when he came here, everything has changed between that point and now. Mm-hmm. And so I really hope he comes back for fifth year. I hope he looks at this and he has a chance to leave this program as the best receiver in its history, most mm-hmm. yards, most catches, all of that. But at the same time, I understand that he's looking at this and th- a lot of things have changed around him right now. And, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, I think he, he might need a little break from it for the time being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, depending on, you know, which theory you subscribe to, there's various reasons out there why, why J.D. left. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It's a kid who's trying to do what's best for himself. I've done this, or not done this, not podcasting, but just been a Husker fan long enough to know there's there's a lot of the story that we never get, that we never understand, and I'm not here to judge any of that. From a football side of it, it yeah, it, it sucks, man. It's going right before spring. He is absolutely one of our best, most productive offensive players we've had in a long time, and you don't want to see that go away, especially in the spring we're going to be shorthanded wide receivers anyway. All that being said, if he comes back, Great, but we all know this was a this was sort of there was a lot of smoke to this fire because this has been talked about for quite some time. Um, I hope JD comes back. I would welcome him back with open arms. But uh, from a football standpoint of things, this isn't ideal by but, any stretch. But Mac, I, I'd say it sucks and it doesn't suck from a time standpoint. There's never a great time for your leading receiver to leave the team. 
But I'd rather it happen, if it does indeed happen, I'd rather it be now than the week before the season well, starts. You think about how much that just one guy could maybe change how the spring ball is going to be used, not just at wide receiver, but possibly at backup quarterback too. You know, that kind of thought of getting that guy out of there could could shape so much of how spring is done. It's, it, it'd be interesting. Well, that's, that's interesting, Mac. And I think we'll take that jump here in just a second because I want to talk a lot more about spring ball and how this impacts it. But just from a J.D. Spielman perspective, help me out here a little bit in the sense, you know, he has gone through a lot here, transitions, uh, and he just has another wide receiver coach come on board uh, mm-hmm. in the last month or so. Was he actually recruited by Pelini before uh, the transition to Riley? Or was that all Mike Riley? No, nope. he came in as the, the second class of Riley. So he came in here and he would have had Morgan, you know, as mm-hmm. a kind of a mentor to look up to. He would have had uh, Keith Williams, obviously, he was very close to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was his first two seasons, his redshirt year and then his redshirt freshman season where he was actually playing mm-hmm. would have been 2016 and 17. Makes the transition here to Frost and Walters as his position coach in 18. And, you know, you really look at how Morgan was so. I don't know what the word is. I don't know if it's professional or he just open. He just he was hand, open to change. He, was he open just to handled it so well, outwardly and probably inwardly on the team too. And you know, and different players are going to succeed and, and struggle differently when you have these changes. And I think at the end of the day, this goes back to what you and I were talking about last week on our, our abbreviated show, Dave. And I thought you brought up a great point about this. We were talking about what Chaz in SoCal tweeted out about the recruiting classes, 2016, 17, 18, and so on. And 2017 only had one starter out of that entire class, Brendan Hymas. Dave mentioned, he goes, it's just painful when you have these coaching changes. And we're still dealing with that a little bit to this day, too. I mean, there's just not that many guys left that are pre-Frost anymore. And if you are Hymas or if you are... You know, Spielman, if you are Farniak's, you know, those guys, I mean, they've got to be looking around the room and going, we are one of the rare breed that are <laughs> that are still from the pre-Frost era. And that's, I think it's great for the long term. I mean, we've got to get, we're getting the culture flipped and all that, but I think we really need to support these guys that have stuck it through this long and really show it our appreciation for them because they are doing something. They've gone through a lot of change. And mm-hmm. I just, I really do want to, to yeah. give a shout out to every one of those guys that, was here during that Riley era. Thank you for being here, and and we do appreciate it. And before anybody goes too far down that, well, if he's a poison to the locker room, then he needs to get out of here. Before we do that, let's also understand that this guy has never been really an issue on game day on the field. He's one of the few guys who shows up, makes big plays. You can count on being there. Plays hurt. Yeah, plays hurt. He's super tough. He's been hung out to drive several times. So let's not pile on JD just because we think this might be a case of a guy not buying into a culture. We have no idea about yeah. that. And how many times he's been asked to buy in and, and what he's asked to do on his leadership role, some guys are not comfortable with that. Mac, so. you just said it perfectly. We have no idea. Correct. We don't. And I don't care if we had a press pass or not. I don't know that anybody – Except for JD and maybe those very, very close to him, no. So I know everyone has the answer on Twitter, Dave, but I, I don't think they do. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't have the answer. Maybe we do have an answer, Boomer, on some of the stats that we're losing with JD Spillman if he's not on the team next year. Again, he may be back, and, and to Max's point, we would welcome that with open arms because uh, a lot of the we, we had a discussion. Uh, a show or two ago about the FPI index and the S&P plus index, et cetera. And we were showing up in top 25s because of 
because of things like returning production, right, Boomer? And we're losing 800 yards of receiving with J.D. Spillman, and that would probably lower those numbers, right? Yeah, first off, I mean, we don't have a press pass, but if anyone from the university is listening and wants to hand one out, you know, maybe throw a few our way, we're okay with that. Shameless, yeah, shameless plug, plug by Boomer, hey, I like not? it. It's, it's spring ball, we can do that. But No, you're right, that is a big, that would be a big hit if you're super concerned about the effects that, that SP Plus has on how you view the season or the offseason. Uh, you know, those numbers themselves, you know, I don't care how we rank in those things, but it is a hit on the offensive side of the ball. That's your leading receiver in, a, in an already thin core as far as experience. I mean, how many receivers do we have left that have even caught a pass from last season? It's not a lot. You have Wandell and, and Warner. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's, it goes any deeper than that. Well, Hickman, depending on where you Yeah, Hickman him. probably has one or two. I mean, it's not a lot. There's just no, not a whole lot. It yet. is thin, yes. You know, that adds that challenge you just hope you get through the the spring ball and the off season and then the start of the season you know injury free you can't really run the risk of any injuries that makes a big challenge and it's just going to be part of the part of what we see going forward but i just want to echo what the other guys have said you know whatever spielman's going through let's that's more important than you know stats or anything like that for us just get that worked out first absolutely yeah and i i like to think that that might take place there back in his home and and everything will Turn the right direction, uh, but we'll have to go forward no matter what. So, Honky, let's talk about that just a little bit, right? I mean, the, we also uh, lost uh, JVM McQuitty uh, this week. Uh, he has left the team. Injury reasons, uh, essentially, but he was also one of those uh, recruits in the Riley era that did not uh, really produce um, much on the field. Uh, we have, is that four scholarship receivers now that will be in for spring? Is that correct? Four scholarship receivers, and then I'd like to add Hickman to that list, which would be a fifth. I'd like to add Warner to that list. He's a walk-on, but, I mean, he's he's essentially a— Functioning like a scholarship player. Yep. So I don't think the numbers are as bad as they kind of come off sometimes for spring. But the returning production is significantly down because of JD's— It's significantly down because of that— now, in spring, what it does is it gives you more reps for guys that need the reps right now. And then the cavalry comes in the summertime when you bring in Fleming and, and Betts and, and Manning and, and that whole group. And I think we basically about double our receiving group between now and then. Well, uh, if, if it doesn't work out that J.D. does come back, like say he he's done, it's nice that we have the spring now to kind of work these other guys in. Some mm-hmm. of the redshirt freshmen, Alante Brown's going to be here. You know, mm-hmm. Wanda, more defining roles. Hickman, too. Hickman, particularly, you know, that's a guy that maybe now that's, okay, well, we were on the fence about where we're going to put him. We're definitely going to play him a wide yeah. receiver now. Well, he's a hybrid kind of guy to begin with. He They moved him to wide receiver by the end of last year. He was playing that against, you know, Maryland and so on. And the wide rec- or the tight end room that he's in, hasn't gotten less competitive this year. It, you know, you still have Stoll and Allen back and Raftall too, but now you've added Vokalek into it. So there's even more reason that if it makes sense at this point in his career when he still hasn't filled out to a full tight end size, that he's a six six wide receiver body out there, and that's not a bad thing. That's the question I wanted to ask you guys is it, it makes sense that you, you put him there now, but he was recruited at a tight end for a reason, and I believe he was being recruited by other uh, schools as a tight end as as well. So is it because of his frame and what he could grow into be that he would be better suited as a tight end later in his career? Um, was was a speed not there enough? I'm, I'm just concerned. Like, let's hey, sure he's six six two fifteen. Sounds like he could be a wide wide receiver, but if he doesn't have 
enough speed for separation, for exact, for example, or that burst, it, it may not mm. be a good fit, right? I, I'm just throwing it out. It here. could be. You, you take different advantages you get with each receiver. You know, there's the five nine guys that are super fast, but they don't bring you that height. And then there's the six six guys that maybe give up a split second here or there, but they give you six more yeah. inches. He's essentially the exact same size as Justin McGriff was, and Justin well, McGriff came here as a wide receiver. Yeah, but to, to answer sure. your question though, too, he's not the answer. For the for their lack of big wide receivers, he's not the answer for JD being gone. And like what what Hickman seems to provide is a possible hybrid situation that maybe we can utilize him a little different than a tight end than a wide receiver. Because just from what little I gathered from him last year, the uh, the athleticism I saw of him was a high level tight end, but certainly not a high level wide receiver. His frame needs to be grown into, but but it's one of those situations where it's like. Well, let's get our best athletes on the field anyway. So if that sure. requires Chris Hickman to play a kind of a flex position, let's get him out of here. And then with the fact that JD being gone, then it's absolutely necessary to get this guy involved. If the tight end play is going to be emphasized this year, yeah. we need to emphasize it with the type of guys that we want prototypically, like with the body style, to play it, which is a vocal guy. Hickman isn't there yet. He's not there from a weight room perspective. It's interesting. I'd be curious to know if what kind of uh, regiment they had him on in this offseason. Were we trying to gain him? Were we trying to roll, trying to get him into that yeah. tight end role? Or were we playing it and like, well, we're going to need, we, we want to keep him lean to make sure that he's uh, a little bit more useful and that, you know, maybe the slot or the outside receiver for us. So mm. it, it, he's a nice one to have. Because he he's about the only one who fills that role with with height that's going to be here for the uh, for the spring game. I was just going to say, Dave, I, I looked up uh, Connolly's uh, formulas there on it, and uh, the returning production for receivers uh, that carries about thirty two percent of the total weight on his uh, scores for uh, returning offense that's production. So it's a big chunk, and Spielman yeah. is about thirty five percent of our total offensive output for receiving last year. So you lose him, you lose. I mean, you got guys like Noah and Washington. It's a big chunk of our receiving core production, you know, is hurt by this. Well, everyone upset with the F&P will now be very happy. Exactly. So there you go. So whatever side of the hype monster you're on, now go ahead and fight the others. So there you go, folks. Well, let's talk final production of a couple people that aren't here anymore. In that 2017 wide receiver class, and we tweeted something out, and it got a lot of play on this, and it was with Javion McQuitty retiring from football now. That essentially puts to close that 2017 wide receiver class that were all four stars. Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Tyjon Lindsey, Javon McQuitty. They came in with a lot of promise on signing day, but they end up here with 17 catches for 112 yards total, zero touchdowns. And so, you know, again, it's one of those kind of painful memories of what happens when you have transitions and all that. But And it also probably tells us something about not getting too high on, on February 3rd, or now it's December 15th, whatever the signing day is is that stars are good, stars are important. We've talked about that before. Recruiting classes are important, but it doesn't tell the whole story. And what they do once they get here and and the development they go through, that plays every bit the role too. So, guys, uh, great point, Honk. I've listened quite a bit to sports radio today after you know hearing that J.D. was going to take a leave from the team and and several of, of them have done a good job of like breaking down like you know the classes between 2013 and 2018. We had 21 wide receivers and 14 have already left and all this type of stuff, right? So I, I don't want to rehash that. But I'll, I'll ask both of you guys this question at least: of all those departures, um, or in some cases, folks that never really arrived, like Keyshawn, what's the one guy you wish you would have saw? actually get and and really produce at nebraska if i could pick somebody from the mike riley era that would have been 
a transformative if he would have panned out. It probably would be Tyjon Lindsay. I mean, he was mm-hmm. he was exactly fit for what we would what we could use a duck R for. I mean, he could be Wandale Robinson. My my understanding when we when we recruited him, he was a super explosive dude that Ohio State was going after. I know he had some injuries his senior year, but he went to that Bishop. Was it Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas? I mean, this yep. was a big time recruit, and and I think at the time, and it might still be true that he was one of the highest ranked recruits Nebraska has ever gotten. And so we get him. He's with the Mike Riley offense, which is you know when they had a guy like uh, Brandon Cooks, you know, like that was a guy who thrived in this offense. I could, I was I was envisioning Tyjon Lindsay in that space, and then even after we fired Riley, you could still see a a, a guy like that with that sort of. When I say explosion, I'm just told, I'm just saying what I was told and saw on film, like, or what the ratings should reflect. I never saw the explosion from him on the field. But if that guy would have been what we were told, if he was even half as good as like Wandell was last year, like that would have, that would have really changed the offense for a few, you know, and that was, that was kind of the frustration with the Riley era versus not to get on a soapbox here, but versus the Scott Frost era. Whether you like Adrian Martinez or not, his freshman year, he was fantastic. Wandell Robinson produced. Maurice Washington, you saw flashes. You know, there there have been enough uh, talent identification and talent producing recruits so far with the Frost regime that I I feel pretty confident about that. But but Tyjon Lindsay was a disappointment. Yeah, I can't give you anyone better than that. I totally agree with you, Mac. All right, so Tyjon Lindsay, the biggest miss uh, from a wide receiver core over the last several years. Um, let's talk about the impact on on spring ball here a little bit, guys. So Hockey's made the point that even though it's only four scholarship receivers, you you know, with Hickman and Warner, you may have six. Um, you know, and then you have some good walk ons potentially that are also going to contribute. But you have you have an opportunity for some of our, our young players like Houston and Nance. And then Alante Brown, who's in huge opportunity to get tons of snaps on the first team here and really get a head start on the backups, the, the crew that's coming in over the summer, uh, Marcus Fleming and Betts mm-hmm. and Omar Manning. Huge opportunity for them, right, guys? Yeah, I think it's a huge opportunity for Wandale, who didn't necessarily play wide receiver as much as he probably would have last year because he was in the backfield so much. So this is an opportunity for all the guys you just mentioned, Dave, to just get more reps. And even if J.D. Spielman was here during spring ball, I think they would probably have limited the amount of reps he would have gotten anyways because you want these guys to get that many. Alante Brown is a really interesting prospect right now because he is a guy that went through the prep school ranks. I think he was already essentially like a year out of high school. Right. He's like a sophomore essentially. Yeah, so he's like a sophomore in standing, and he's here for the the offseason – so that is a guy that is primed to be able to to hopefully produce something next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever that is, I mean, he doesn't need to be a starter, but is he somebody that can come out there and be competitive on the field? And is he physically built enough? I think that's a guy that, you know, is primed to, to get some good play time. I mean, it, it's funny how much of the ripple effect of this, because maybe Alante Brown was going to get a lot of time in the backfield this offseason because of the lack of depth at running back, because we're still trying to develop that. Knowing that JD is going to be gone, it, it allows the coaches to go, okay, where are we thinnest? You know, does JD hurt us more at that running back position? Cause now we can't use Alante or does he hurt us more at the wide receiver, wide receiver position? Or can somebody like a Wandell Robinson supplement that? Or does somebody, you know, like is, is Nance a little bit more developed than what we know? The, the fact that, that Nance and 
Demari and Houston didn't produce last year. I feel like that sometimes gets overblown a little bit in terms of, well, if they couldn't do it last year when it was so thin, they just there's no way they could produce this year. I don't, I don't agree with that. They were redshirting. Are, are, are you, a you lot telling of guys me there's year. absolutely zero value yeah. in a year and a half of of Zach Duvall's strength conditioning? Are you telling me there's absolutely zero value in being in the system for that long that you can't produce? I'm like that. That's kind of ridiculous to me. So you get those guys involved. You are waiting on the cavalry a little bit with you, when you're talking about Betts and, and Omar Manning. What what becomes the scariest part about all of this, and and none of us can say this with any confidence, is the two guys I just said, Betts and Manning are still a bit of a wild card. With J.D. Spielman, he was he was a known product. He was a guy that you could count on. Maybe he flagged a little bit towards the end of the season, but that was more of a, a consequence of overuse than it was a, a lack of talent or ability. So it, it, it's frustrating, like we said. This is year three. You were hoping you were going to have these kind of depth conversations, but, you know, here we are. Let's talk a little bit about how this impacts the quarterback competition in spring and vice versa. Right. We, we're not f- for certain how healthy Adrian Martinez is right now for spring ball and how much he will be, you know, having contact and, and full participation in drills. Uh, then you've got Luke McCaffrey. And, uh, I think you would say if Adrian isn't a hundred percent, you have, have Luke, um, really trying to make a case, uh, to, be in that competition come August, but he's also one of the best athletes on the field. And so you could also see him playing a role in that wide receiver room at, at some point in his career if he is not starting next year at Nebraska. Any thoughts on on all that? And, and on top of it, let me ask you a, a, a question. I know this is a lot, but it feels like right now and then – as the summer progresses, is when a quarterback like Adrian or Luke is going to be building that uh, teamwork with the wide receiving crew, right? All the seven-on-seven drills, that type of stuff. And by not having four or more guys here, that he's missing out on some of that, right? Yeah, it's just kind of hard to know where you stand in a few positions because if we had Beds and Manning for the spring and then we could see that, oh, these guys are going to be fine, they're they're going to be up to speed, they're, we can count on these guys, you know, possibly that temptation to move McCaffrey over to wide receiver is a little lessened. Here's the wrench in all this is we don't know if Adrian's good to go. So if Adrian's not good to go, then the quarterback competition isn't an apples to apples comparison. And then you take, so let's, let's just go into it saying, well, that's not going to be apples to apples comparison, but it also is still interesting because you've got Logan Smothers here. So you've got two guys that haven't really started any games for us, regardless of how many snaps they take, they will absolutely be the focus of the spring. We're going to want to know how Logan's adjusting. We're going to know how Luke's doing. If Adrian's not healthy, that will, that will absolutely drive the narrative. But with JD leaving, I guess when I come down to all of this is you want your best player. We can't afford, we're not good enough talent-wise to leave any of our best athletes on the sideline when we need to win games. And the funny thing about that is you can make the argument three of those guys are playing the same position and it's quarterback. Yeah. Because Logan Smothers is a sub t- a sub 11 guy at in the 100 and McCaffrey's comes from a family of complete athletes and he looks fast and capable out there. And you've got your starting returning quarterback who might have the highest ceiling of all of them, but he's not ready to go. The, the spring is going to be fascinating with it, all of them. It's fascinating, but it's also the spring. And, and we've seen enough springs, Mac. And we've seen enough spring practices over the years with the coaching clinics and all that. 
your spring roster doesn't always isn't always a very complete one. And there is a lot that happens between the spring and the fall. And that's part of recruiting and that's part of development and all that. And and to not get too over concerned about what the roster looks like when you trot out there in the red white game. I, I'm not too concerned about that. What would concern me, to be honest with you, a little bit more is if we started pulling Luke McCaffrey out to start working him as a wide receiver, I don't like that right now. You're either a quarterback or you're not. And I think that's to this point all, would you, would all you, the way up but until But would you now. agree that you would want him out there if he was one of our top five athletes? In the fall, yes. In the spring, I want him playing quarterback and being 100% quarterback and getting every rep at quarterback. Regardless if Adrian was 100% or not. If Adrian's not 100%. I'm just clarifying. I'm not, I'm not challenging. Yeah, I'm just I would, curious. He's a quarterback right now. And in spring, that is where I would be getting every rep I could possibly get with him at. Because he, he's earned that. He's earned that as an opportunity. I, I don't argue that at all. I, now, I feel like you do the kid a little bit of a disservice if you keep trying to spread when, him if wide. If you start pulling him away from yeah. the position that he's supposed to be playing, I think that's an issue. But now, how weird is it now that, you that get, Adrian's not even going to be but just wait 100% second. ready to go? But just Well, we I, we don't even know any of that stuff yet, right? I mean, we assume, right? But Well, we didn't a, know about J.D. Spielman either, but we kind of did. I know. But here, So here's the thing. <laughs> Let's take it one step at a time. In spring ball, what we're trying to do is figure out who your starting quarterback is. And McCaffrey is absolutely part of that conversation. He should get all the same reps and all the same opportunities as any of the other quarterbacks to earn that job. Now, we get through spring ball, and let's go one or two ways. He wins it. He becomes the starting quarterback. Yay, Luke McCaffrey's our starting quarterback next year, and we move on in that direction. Or he doesn't get it, and now we get to fall camp, and he's not the starting quarterback, and now we can start to look at it at that time is the discussion of, well, he's one of the best athletes. How do we get him onto the field? And then you can have that conversation with him about, do you want to, you're the backup QB, but we want to get you some other reps. And that happens at schools and programs all across think, the country. Do you think if everything was even though, and I mean, it was a literal coin flip between Adrian and Luke based on how they graded out and how good and I can give you looked. my answer but, already. But, but let's say, is the difference that, well, if we don't play Adrian, He's no asset at any other position. But if we don't play Luke, we can move him to wide receiver, and he is an asset there because Adrian's Adrian, if he's not playing quarterback, you, isn't playing. The, the way you phrased it, if you go, if all things are even, and, and literally they're tied essentially, right? So all things are even, I go with Adrian. I go with experience at that point. If all other things are even. That's what I would do because that position, I want a guy that has been out there you know, in the horseshoe that's been out there in Camp no, Randall. I, I, that's you know, that's what I want again, out of that quarterback. Is, this isn't me so, asking like a challenge, no, but I, I, no, I, that's, it's not. A, that's it's fair. not. A, that's a it's answer. not about the challenging. It's about you're asking me if I'm a coach. That's what I would want. What I want to see out of McCaffrey if he's going to be our starter next year, because there's a there's a good amount of Redcast Nation out there that they want to see something different, right? Okay, fine. I'll I'll take the bait. If McCaffrey's going to be the starter, then it can't be all things equal. He has to be better than Martinez. To win that position, he has to be better, and he's not going to be better if I'm pulling him all spring to play wide receiver. So yeah. he needs every rep he can get at quarterback. And again, I don't want to make, create a panic in no. spring ball because we only have four receivers. This every spring ball we have low positions of depth because it's so funny things just happen in spring and guys sit out when they would not be sitting out if it was fall yeah. stuff like we, that we, happens all the time. We get so hung up on depth charts; it's so ridiculous. I mean, that the fact God, is, I love it, Husker Nation. I love yeah, every one of you. It doesn't matter who ends up out of spring ball or even even really fall camp. Like if we're talking about margins, if we're talking about these slim margins about of, of quarterback play, well, then it doesn't really matter because as soon as the point is, you want to have options. 
as yes. a coaching staff. If, if Adrian isn't getting done or if he gets hurt, the fact that we can go three deep now oh, before we change what fundamentally has to be our offensive style, which is something we haven't had in a long time. It's like, oh, well, if it gets to this guy, well, then we have to completely shift the way we call plays. <laughs> well, if the fact that that isn't the case. The Riker Fife syndrome? Uh, I didn't want to say names, but let's say. <laughs> no, and yeah, that's no but, knock on Fife, by the way. That's the, not his fault. But the fact is that we're recruiting in the direction that is in line with our culture the word we all hate, and our Kool-Aid, the second one, I'm just kidding. So, guys, uh, before I do want to take this to Boomer here in a little bit because I want to talk about our, our special teams. But before we close uh, the conversation on wide receivers, let me throw out this random question about uh, recruiting going forward with wide receiver position. It's well known that Frost and company have uh, offered, like, the most scholarships in Division One, right? It's like 450 or more right. like last year in 2019. Yeah, Bruce Reed's salary. Yeah, that's right <laughs> how many uh, scholarships we have Full thrown out there. And we don't know how many of those are committable right. or not and all this type of stuff, right? And, and there's pros and cons to that. But I mean, going forward, recruiting the wide receiver position, do we need to change anything in our recruiting philosophy? Um, is there something else out there that we need to be uh, recruiting to that would, would change our ability to attract the right type of receivers into our offense? That's a great question because there have been some obvious misses. The jury's out on that one, Dave. You know, some of that too is maybe that's why Walters is gone. You know, some of that is, Good point, is you know, maybe that's where JD, where JD is, isn't happy in that room. There is a deficiency. It has been a deficiency in our wide receivers room. I'm not going to put that at Frost's doorstep yet, but this is the year that would, would indicate, okay, well, this is now a pattern. This is now an issue. This is now something that you've proven over time that we struggle getting. So if this is going to be an offense we're going to live in and do, uh, that we have to show the ability to get those Georgia-type wide receivers, those those Ohio State wide receivers, those Alabama. Like, we can't pretend like that's a supplemental uh, position that we can get in the 500-mile radius. That's not true. With The, the wide receivers is, is a big indicator of how, how we're doing in terms of national perception and recruiting rankings. Yeah. I look at it like a lot of our positions. I mean, I think you can get some of it out of the 500-mile radius. Obviously, Keegan Johnson next year and Xavier Betts last year. I mean, you can get some of them, but it's just like any position. What's funny is we don't know. You have to supplement a lot. We don't actually know yet what's more important for our offense. Is it speed or is it size? Because I don't feel like any of the ones we've recruited have excelled in either of those positions. Yeah, I I really. I just think up to this point, it's just so early right now because – the only size guys they would have gone after that would have been kind of size receivers would have been like Katarian, Lagone, and McGriff. Right. Obviously, and again, he, neither and of those guys panned out for Katarian was another kind of hybrid position. And, and, and so this is, McGriff you know, was gone right Omar away. Manning is, if we're sitting here in a year and we're having a discussion about Manning and Manning didn't pan out for some reason, I think that would be an early sign of, of a concern because he is somebody that comes in more experienced. A junior college guy. Uh, there's more tape on him. That they're very high on this guy. I mean, look, Frost has had success in the past at both UCF and at Oregon with big receivers. So I mean, the offense it's built to have guys like this in it. I'm I'm just not that concerned right now. I'm really not. I want to see how it plays itself out, but I don't think that there's reason for concern right now. I still think the sneaky spot that we could you know carve out a living in though within this is is tight end. We, yeah. we, for some reason, can recruit a pretty high level of tight end. I think we can get ta- uh, really good tight end athletes. And in the Big Ten, 
that's shown to be a pretty big asset. So there are only so many six foot four wide receivers every year. And those guys tend to go in the, in the Southeastern Conference. And that's, you know, so that's always going to be a challenge to recruit. If we can get our tight ends that can be difference makers within this conference, then maybe it doesn't hurt us so much and we can sprinkle in the occasional Omar, the occasional Xavier Betts, a big, a big wide out, you know, six, four and above kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, but, but the tight ends, I'm so tired of us not having any tight end statistics of note. We've got to start doing a better job of that. There's, there's, that is, is clear to me as, as having a, a, an upper tier running back. We need a few tight ends and we need a few running backs to get this going. I 100% agree. And if, and if we're having two tight ends out there and a running back, then all this discussion about 25 wide receivers is a moot point anyways. Uh, honky's <laughs> dream. Yes, absolutely. Two tight end sets. Well, Boomer, um, I don't know if it was also the right fit for uh, Barrett Pickering uh, as well, right? Uh, Barrett has uh, left the team, and we also lost walk-on uh, kicker Matt Waldrock, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. He, he made several field goals for us last year at the end of the end of the season. Uh, so we've lost two of our most experienced kickers. Um, are you looking at Chase Contreras here as the the man to beat uh, in that? Uh, place-kicking battle? Well, I think you have to. It's uh, like Honky said with the quarterback position. If all else is equal, you got to go with the experience, and at least Chase has that on the uh, junior college level, you know, kicking at uh, Iowa Western. He was a fairly accurate kicker there, I believe like 15 of 18 on field goals, and pretty good on extra points, too. I think he only missed a handful of those during the season. So I think you have to start with that and see what you get out of it. Um, he's got a good leg, too, right? I mean, yeah, he does. I, he's got two of them. Actually. <laughs> Are the dimensions any different at that level of, of kicking a similar ball? They kick it with their foot? Not a metric field, none of that no stuff. No lasers so. trying to shoot down a ball midway through? It's it's pretty much kicking? No, that's the XFL in the second <laughs> half of the season to add a little spice to Sharks it. Sharks so. with some freaking lasers. Yeah, we do have a couple other guys at Crawford and Hines there you know, to, to try to work out. Hopefully we'll just see a little bit of all of them spring ball, see what we can get out of them. And we've mentioned it before, how important that position is. That's the difference between a couple of wins and a couple of not wins. So it's... We want to get that worked out, you know, special teams, folks. Yeah, and we got to keep those guys healthy, too, however that works out, right? I mean, you wouldn't think that'd be a challenge, but it sure seemed to be that way last year. Uh, Honky, do you think just uh, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, we'll be offering scholarship kickers in the future? And if if so, are they going to be kicking specialists? Or do you feel like Frost and company will look for kickers that are – all-around good athletes as well, I guess. You know, with a, a roster that's up to 160 players with that many walk-ons, essentially 75 of your 160 players are walk-ons, I think there's plenty of positions available or spots available for special team specialists, long snappers, punters, kickers. And for the most part, especially punters and long snappers, you can get those out of the walk-on ranks, get multiple guys, let them compete against each other, and the ones that rise to the top, if they become your starters and everything, if you want to offer them scholarships at that point, super. I wouldn't be offering those guys out of high school. Yeah, let them earn it. Place That's a kicker, great position to earn it. Place kicker can be a little different. We've been hit and miss over the course of history with offering place kickers out of high school. I mean, the David Dykes and the Sandro D'Angelis guys, yeah. those are kickers. Jordan Congdon, that they were Adi was it Adi Adi was here at the same time as on a scholarship as Alex Henry came here on a walk on, and then eventually earned one. 
I guess I would take it on a case-by-case basis. If you really feel good about a player, you can still offer a place kicker that. I mean, the Chris and Drew Brown, Josh Brown, those guys are all scholarship guys. But there's, you know, you can get a lot of guys too through the walk-on. So this is a perfect example of why having a strong walk-on program is important. Though special teams is where you can get a lot of guys out of the walk-on program to be eventual players for you, kicking and not kicking guys too. I mean, so that's just that's a reason again why you know having this beefed-up roster overall. And I do want to mention one thing about the roster while we're talking about it with Pickering and McQuitty leaving. That takes us down now to 81 scholarships. Right currently for fall 2020 and i know i've seen so much of this on social media people are freaking out about players leaving and frost is running guys off and nobody wants to play for him people chill we're at 81 scholarships we needed to get down in fact i mean i hate to say it this way and i really i'm not trying to be crude to anybody that's left the program here in the last two or three months but short of the jd situation I'm, this is aside from jd he's still one of the 81 he's on scholarship but anyone that's left, who was going to be competing for playing time next year? None of them. I mean, they just weren't. Well, and, even, and that's, I mean, those are the guys, yeah. you hate, I hate to say it that way, but I'm actually impressed that I think this coaching staff targeted some guys and said, look, I think you guys can have better situations if you go somewhere else than, than staying here. We're going to support the heck out of you. We're not just kicking you to the curb. We want you to go into the transfer portal and go to a place where you can play mm-hmm. and get playing time and is a better fit and all those things. And when Butler left here, the defensive back, he spoke very highly of Frost in the process of leaving. That tells me that this coaching staff is treating guys right even when they're having to tell them maybe some tough news. Well, and we're getting this roster right, and Frost is not wasting any time to do it. Well, and the bottom line with J.D. too, really anybody over these last few years, we've won 13 games. With him, and it just yeah, hasn't he, amounted to much. He had, what, said five, that t- five touchdowns last year? Certainly I would want him back. Certainly he would be an, an addition to it. But does, is he actually the difference between a great team or a not great team? I don't know. I mean, the, the fact is no one's really been the difference yet yeah. about a great team and, and a not great team. Maybe J.D. wants to win some more games. I think we all do. But the, the, I'm, I'm just not going to get excited about losing, gaining, adding, you know, counting on Omar, counting on Watts. We need to win some games, period. However that formula manifests itself and, and turns into a winning program, then then when we lose those guys, if we lose somebody from a eight-win season, it's like Adrian's finally, you know, he doesn't think he's going to beat out McCaffrey. That's a concern. J.D. leaving, although, you know, a punt return here against a probably not a very good opponent or, or a late touchdown here against kind of garbage time Ohio State, those inflate the numbers that he has. And, again, this isn't to disparage him, but the fact is – his numbers are inflated in some games that we still lost anyway. So I, I, there's just not enough production. There's not enough winning in the last three years to be overly concerned about anybody yeah. we lose. I'd rather have what, and I, I, I would prefer to stay away from the word culture, but what I want to stop hearing are situations of, of guys being a problem in the locker room. I'm exhausted. Yeah, I just, that if crowd. we're going to be at 160 players, I just, I'm taking the names off the, the jerseys for a second. I just want 160 guys that want to be here. And I'm not pointing that at any one player. I just that's what I want in year three. And if we start off with that, I, I think we have a roster in place. I'm as optimistic today as I was a couple weeks ago when we when we started talking about hype management, Dave. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Well, I, I keep on getting one more question. I got to ask one more then. With uh, 81 scholarships, that means there's a little bit of room uh, there to potentially go after a couple players in the transfer market. Mm-hmm. 
And if the NCA passes the transfer rule change that has been proposed where you have immediate eligibility, uh, that could happen as early as this summer. So there could be a lot of players that potentially are now suddenly on our radar. Do you see us going after a couple wide receivers potentially here over the next few months? Yeah, if that rule happens with the NCAA, which basically allows you to have one free transfer immediate playtime, that helps and hurts every school all equally, right? So, I mean, honestly, Spielman, if that happens, Spielman could use that rule to his benefit. And we could use that rule to our benefit to bring in other guys too. Uh, we don't know the answers to that yet, but obviously, you know, we're at 81, so there's four spots available mm-hmm. right now. Now, whether that is in the very traditional sense, give them to two or three walk-ons that have worked their way up, you know, to starting spots, that certainly could be it. But more than likely, we would probably find a, a way to get into the transfer world the way we have the last couple of years. And you hope that you get more of the Darian Daniels than Cannavinoas. Uh, when you do that, because there's a risk and a reward. You, you want to have the flexibility to do it, um, you know, and ideally you, you would be in a pretty rare situation mm-hmm. to actually have to utilize it, yeah. right? Because ideally you shouldn't have to go into this. That The problem that we're having with the transfer portal is we, we're looking into it as an actual need. Like we have to fill this as opposed to like an accentuation to something that's already good. Like this guy's going to be great for us. He'll fit in nicely with this. But we're actually at the point now with, with the wide receiver depth going – I'll tell you what, though, uh, or or even running back. Yeah, we we yeah the run we've hit on running back here, and we do need, in my opinion, I just we need one stopgap guy that fills the gap between uh, Dedrick Mills and then the four redshirt freshmen slash freshmen. We need something in between there because that's what we lost when Jalen Bradley left, and and he wasn't gonna be a player for us next year anyways. And then specifically when Maurice Washington right. didn't pan out, right. that's what we lost by those guys leaving, right? But I would rather be at 81 scholarships right now than 86, honestly, because I feel like if you almost it makes ranked, me feel skinny. If you ra- sure. Well, if you ranked guys from one to 85, the guys that have left weren't guys that are ranked number three and 17 and <laughs> well, 24. Short, on the team. short of JD, short, yes. but, but JD's not part of that right now because he's still one part of the 81. Well, so he hasn't point. left. Good now, if he okay. leaves, Within the, yeah, if okay. he left, now you would actually go way down the list. That would be the only one. If he's the only one. So what you're doing is you are freeing up roster spots for guys that are either walk-ons that have been in the program two, three years and are starting to earn their spots. You're, you're freeing up a spot. If there is a transfer guy that you feel will be the right, you know, fit, that's what you're doing by doing that. And I'm not trying to disparage those guys. I'm just saying those guys had been here for three or four years and they weren't sniffing in the field and it wasn't going to change. So them leaving for better opportunities. I mean, Jalen Bradley, we're going to see the kid. He's going to South Dakota State. He's going to yep, play us this right. year, right? And he'll probably go out and he'll, he'll do everything he can to run for 200 on us, right? Do you know, do you know how many touchdowns JD had last year? Total. I, oh, geez, I don't know, three? Five. So I mean, it's like when we talk about replacing, like that's not a lot. It's I mean, it is, and that's not to discount or or, or diminish what he is, but that's not a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. It's like it, it isn't so much that JD is leaving; it's that we are so beholden, or so we we that the fact that we're on the his decision, that kind of choice, that kind of player making that choice is it, it hangs our season in the balance. Is the issue the the production has just been so low? It's like, well, what are we replacing? Not much production. That's absolutely right. All right, guys. Well, uh, that was uh, in-depth and lengthy. Um, I learned a lot, though, so hopefully our listeners did, too. In-depth and lengthy. And now, Nebraska ball. 
All right, guys, let's talk about some Nebraska ball. And um, the season is slowly, mercifully coming to an end. Uh, we have lost our 14th straight game in a row. I don't know what's wrong with this this podcast because we just cannot see enough victories, apparently. But uh, Fred Hoiberg and his, his boys uh, lost Northwestern on Sunday in a frustrating manner as they really beat Northwestern on almost all facets of the game. Um, on senior day, uh, and you know, I, I want to point out Hanif Cheatham, um, one of the the seniors, and the only one that really was playing, right? Because uh, Kavas has has been out. Uh, had some really great quotes, um, just thanking all the support from the Husker fans. Fifteen thousand tickets sold again. Um, we're a top ten, top eleven attendance in, in all of college basketball for a team that's only won seven games and only two in conference. Um, so I, I think it's great to have someone like Hanif Cheatham put it in perspective that uh, we're still supporting this team and, and they're very thankful for that. But um, that that uh, crowd in uh, PBA uh, watched a 8-for-30 free throw performance, which cost Nebraska the game. Uh, Boomer, um, loss of words there really almost, right? Yeah, it's uh, pretty impressive to to go eight for 30 from the free throw line. I mean, if you were trying to shave points for gambling, that would be considered an audacious way to go about it. So you can't even expect, you can't even blame that. It's just, it, it was incredible really just because we joked about it even, you know, in the last week's podcast with Hale Varsity is, you know, how much worse can free throw shooting get? And well, I guess they answered that question and it, it, it can get worse. It was pretty impressive to, to do that. I mean, so many points left out there just in that one game could be a difference. And we'd mentioned it before. It's kind of been a, a, a bugbear this entire season is just how many points have we left out there on, on free throws alone could make games closer and just equate to a few more wins this season. You know, wouldn't have made this an NCAA tournament team, but certainly could have, you know, had a few more wins and gotten a little more positive feeling, I guess, from certain certain level of the fans that wanted more more wins in year one of this this entire rebuild. But yeah, I mean, hockey, it does. It seems like it's a historic performance. Uh, some people have tried to run the numbers but um, at least since 2010, no NCAA team has uh, had a worse free throw shooting percentage while taking 30 more, 30 or more attempts. Uh, I think the NBA they went back to 1946, and it's never happened in the mm-hmm. NBA. I mean, it, it's really hard to miss that many free throws in, in a game, but we seem to seem to be able to. Well, do if you're if you're talking numbers, uh, Stephen M. Sipple, who we have to get him back on the Redcast here soon. Uh, he tweeted out a couple days ago that our 22 misses uh, are more than Kerry Cohorn, one of the program's best shooters of all time, missed during his entire four years. Uh, he was 147 of 164, so a total of 17 misses for 89.6%. And uh, Sipple also said that uh, Cohorn once told him that he had to make 25 straight free throws before he left practice. I don't think that it's a lack of effort on the part of Hoiberg and staff, I mean, my goodness, I'm not a free throw analyst or a free throw shooting expert by any means, but I know everything I've read and heard is that they were putting in plenty of time on it, and I have no idea. At some point, it just everything goes south and nothing's going in, and I mean, Cam Mack is a player that's going to be a good player for us in the future, and he gets fouled at the end of the first half on a three-point play. He has three shots, and he misses them all, right? I know the guy can make free throws. Yeah. I know he is. It's it's right. different than, you know, Yvonne being the, the Shaq, you know, the big 6'9 guy. You expect those guys sometimes to, to brick him around a little bit. But, I mean, I know Mac can make them, and he just didn't. And, and Burke didn't. And, and you know what? That's something that they can legitimately review and go into the offseason with. But 
I want to go back to the initial point that Dave talked about, and this is as the season's coming to an end. I do want to thank Husker Nation for showing up there. And we've had our differences with a couple guys. Believe in Fred, a great friend of ours. We've gone back and forth all season about this being a tough sell or not. You know what? Whether it is or not, thank you for all those people out there that are showing up. It is going to get better next year. I mean, I want to transition a little bit to the roster itself. Mac, you wanted to say something. Well, before we just go ahead and glaze over this epically horrific free throw (laughs) shooting performance. I didn't think we glazed over it. I feel like we did because – the argument can be made that Fred Hoiberg is the worst free throw coach we've ever had in Husker history in one year. <laughs> oh, I don't. I'm There's not, no way you can argue uh, with that because the stats bear it out. I'm not now. Now listen, so Mac. Now, now I understand so, that it, it's it's a head game, right? And I understand that it's not necessarily technique. And I'm not saying it's lack of effort, but you can't tell me that they've done enough to make it better. Because it's not better. It is unfathomably bad. It's, it's record setting so, bad. It's some, it's stuff we haven't seen before bad. And, and, and you're right. You know, does what? that make us a tournament team? No. But does it win us the game last Saturday? Yes. It wins us that game against, against, against a six win Northwestern team. It's, it's I get a, it. I a, totally it, get it. Like, I'm not trying to compare it. Like, it, not everything with me is comparison to football. It probably is. I might, I don't know. Maybe it probably yeah. is. But it is, it is the, it is the equivalent to not being able to have a good uh, place kicker. It's, free throws are a given for the most part. No one's in your way. And it's, it's so systemic. I, I would bet you right now that Fred Hoiberg is a 50% free throw shooter. That's how bad I think our free throw shooting is. Is that Fred Hoiberg <laughs> out of 100 attempts makes I know, I know that we actually had, I think producer Skip looked up the stats of uh, the five teams he had, Iowa State, and they were all in the upper 60s to 70% free throw shooting teams. That's correct. Here, here's my thing. I appreciate. I know. I love I ap- stats that, that I love stats that that Husker coaches have at other schools that never apply. So here. here's the thing. I just uh, Hoiberg was a 85 percent free throw shooter. In fantastic. His own career, so there you I go. appreciate yeah. everything that the team, the players that were out there did this year. The team that we have out next year. I hope you understand. And Dave and I started hitting on this on last week's show. The roster is going to change so much. We have three guys sitting on the bench that are basically all sophomore to junior eligibility, and we have three guys in the recruiting class that we just brought in that are all junior eligibility. That's six yeah. guys that are basically and, and two I'm to three. Just wait a second. But if I'm just, playing devil's, devil's advocate, just, if those guys come me, out of the gate shooting 50%, then I have no faith in this staff to then, improve that number. So, I hope they're better. Yes. If we're sitting here having this conversation in one year – my point is the team that's going to be out there next season, and we've already said that the entire argument this whole season was this year is a transition year. Next year's team has six guys that are all junior eligibility. Five of them have played at Power 5 schools in the past already, mm. and the one that hasn't, Delano Banton, played at Western Kentucky, yeah. and he is the guy that's being talked about as being the, the Reggie Roby, you know, 6'8", you know, guy. So m- absolutely, cool about absolutely that, except, for, to, except no one's in their way when they shoot free throws. So absolutely to your point, Mac. If we are sitting here in 12 months talking about a free throw shooting issue, then I would sit there and go, that becomes a trend. One season is not a trend. One season is not. One season, One season is not a trend. But I'm, I, again, you know me, I'm going to play devil's advocate and I'm, and I'm, I'm not far off with believe in Fred to go, this is, this was really hard to watch. It was really hard to watch us be in a game against Northwestern and know that every time they fouled us, it was like the whole team could play hack a shack. Okay. Because it did not matter. Every, that's an issue. That's an issue when you've got a court, when, 
I know we're we're coming down hard on Hoiberg here for year one, and it, there were questions on all this when it came to you know free throw shooting things like that. Are you willing to give uh, Frost the same pass on football for simple things like ball security, penalties, things like that in year one or two? If Frost was a career ninety percent field goal making player, I'm, I'm not talking field goals. I'm talking the other the other issues we had on the game, whether it was ball security, penalties, all those sorts of things. Well, but okay, but I'm I'm, I'm well, okay, but but it's not a great comparison between basketball and football. But but Hoiberg shot free throws as a player, right? Frost never kicked field goals as a player, correct? But if he did, and he was a, a sub six hundred or a sub sixty percent field goal kicker, and that's about what we had this year, I'm like, eh, I guess so. Hoiberg is not that. So I understand what you're saying. Should I give Frost a pass for? No. By the way, I'm not. I don't think our, our special teams effort this year was good enough to to pass salt or whatever. We we need to get better at that. But I'm also not willing to just go ahead and say, well, it's his first year. Free throws are hard, and we shouldn't be better at them. We should be. So let let me interject, please, guys. Uh, I I really enjoy the the <laughs> conversation here. Um, I'll try to answer both or at least join the conversation both on the free throws and the roster all at the same time to Honky's hope, I think, because he, I don't think he wants to talk about free throws. But I am intrigued because if if you think about coaching basketball, what do you think you do in practice to to improve free throw shooting? I mean, are you spent? You only have so much time to practice, right? Are you sitting there and spending hours and hours shooting free throws? I mean, what techniques are are you expecting this coaching staff to actually have these players do in practice in an empty gym that's going to improve their free throw shooting? That's that is a that's a fantastic question, and and I'm not going to tell you what they should be doing in their in their practice sessions to improve the free throw shooting. My point is largely this: is you can't just wash it away by saying it's just a thing this year either because the point is we never overcome the we never overcame the issue of our free throw shooting and that's that's a little problematic despite the fact that okay well we're not big enough to rebound in the big 10 and we we're, we we lack size to you know to do the defense or the length to do the defense that we'd like to do everything about that is true but free throws are something that ideally this is something you should be able to coach up I can appreciate and understand the fact that Shaquille O'Neal, who practiced free throws every year, never got much above 50%. My point is, though, I'm not just willing to say, I, I can't just glaze over it necessarily. I get that. So I guess my point there a little bit is that I would say that the reality is, even though I, I'm sure after practice, at the end of the end of practice, they take free throws, and I would imagine it's on the assistants and other staff to, to work on free throw shooting individually with players with form and whatnot. There, there's not a lot of time committed to free throws during practice. It's too valuable of a time to actually do teamwork, uh, drills, et cetera, and, and the X's and O's to actually be shooting free throws. You could do that at any time. So that is, it's all about the players doing that after hours in reality. And, and if you actually just look at the numbers, the correlation really is uh, in field goal and three-point shooting percentages should relate to good free-throw shooters. And we're not a good three-point shooting team either, so thus we're not a good free-throw shooting team. And so this is where Honky's point about roster change is going to start to improve these numbers. Uh, we have to have better shooters on this team going forward and, and to start having that roster 
look like a Fred Hoiberg roster from a three-point shooting percentage standpoint will improve the free throw shooting inevitably, right? Fred was a great three-point shooter. He was a great free throw shooter. Go figure, right? Um, and there's also other roster elements here. I would think that, um, I, Ivan Oedrago has been a, a great uh, revelation at times this year. He had 19 rebounds. Yeah, is that right, yeah. Honk, in, in this game? Phenomenal, right? He has some limitations right now as a player, as a true freshman. He doesn't have a lot of explosiveness in his game. And so he tends to, after he gets that rebound and tries to go up for a, a second uh, chance um, bucket, he gets hit. He gets hacked, right? He gets fouled and goes to the free throw line, opposed to dunking the ball. Like someone, I mean, Zion Williams is also six eight six nine. Zion doesn't, you know, get uh, hacked and, and loses the ball. He goes and buries the thing in the in the rim, right? He's much stronger and more explosive a player. I, I mean, and there's tons of other talent disparities between those two. But point is, they're a similar size player, and they're very different in that uh, element. Odrago can get better at that, but he, he needs to be dunking the ball and putting the thing through the hoop after a rebound on the offensive uh, side of the ball instead of getting hacked. And then he's a 46% free throw shooter. He took nine of the 30 attempts uh, yesterday, right? So we, you want good free throw shooters like Hanif Cheatham going into the line opposed to Oyo Drago. And, and that wasn't the case against Northwestern. And it did build upon itself. And you had a couple of guys like Cam Mack have really bad days, but it's it's the roster will get better, the free throws will get better, but it was a, a historic situation that I can never imagine happening. Again. It was a it was a horrible shoot free throw shooting game. I mean, literally, we have beaten this even worse than it's been beaten for the three days since, and it and it deserves the beating. I, I don't want to that's, dismiss. That's the it. whole thing. It's like okay, I you could, I, I could field every athletic conversation, every every bit about us being undersized. I'm I. I but it's a, it's a little disappointing that we never got better at shooting. Yeah, I don't want to dismiss it. I also don't want to talk about it anymore. I want to talk. <laughs> I want to talk about honestly. I want to look forward at. We have six guys that completely flip this roster totally, and and not just in the sense of like six new dudes that are two to three years out of high school, but also it flips the way that we play. Right now, we only had two guys on this team. That were six eight or taller. It was Cross or it was Yvonne. They were two freshman dudes. They were playing earlier than they should have been playing, and they couldn't be on the court at the same time because they basically had to replace each other. So we had one dude that's six eight or six nine on the court, and everyone else. And so you have Thor playing the four spot sometimes against a guy who's six inches taller than them. And you'd have Yvonne doing a great job against somebody bigger than him, but he'd do a great job against him. But then the other six eight, six nine guy on the court for the opponent would come in and get the rebound because he had nobody basically size-wise that could compete against him. Next season, Yvonne might not even be the starter. It could be Derek or it could be Walker coming in and be the starter. But guess what? Those two end up playing for the same spot. They're the fives. Let's just call them that. I know it's positionless basketball in the Hoiberg offense, but we're going to call those guys the five. And then the four can be a cross who comes back in the second year. And you also have Lat Mayan, the six nine guy coming in that's in this recruiting class who played at TCU already. Those are guys that now they're interchangeable with each other. They're at the four spot. And you have a constantly a, a roster on the court at any time that has two dudes six eight or taller. That's a completely different roster than right now. That's a different makeup. That changes how we can spread our defense out and maybe cover threes a little bit better. And no, it doesn't guarantee that we're going to make the same amount of free throws, but damn it, it's not going to get worse. 
That is, I admit, every time, that every was time, a Every time I've said nothing could get worse, I've seen it get worse. <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was it? Was it like Clark Griswold on vacation? We're in the pit of hell. It ain't getting worse. I mean, that was, that was seriously, that's the worst free throw shooting, you know, you can get. But, but my God, that's, I, I'm that's offering, not I'm, what I'm looking for. I'm offering at zero season. solutions as to how to fix the free throw shooting situation. And I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely willing to go, Yes, I, I'm sure Hoiberg has a, a, a tried and true uh, technique to shooting free throws and making them right. However, in this in a year in which we struggled on every facet, defensively, offensively, size wise, we should have made hay at, at the free throw line, and we couldn't do it. And that's disappointing. And 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 that's that's and, and, and that's, that's fair. And that's my issue, I guess. It's like I, I'm disappointed that that never got better. That's fair because that's something that's pretty static. Something you could work on. Something you you assume. And I I again I'd heard that they brought in specialists. I know they made efforts to do it. Basketball is weird, man. It's a, it's a weird sport, but I'm like, you know, you 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 get to be a what are we fifty? I don't even know what our what our uh, season percentage is as a free throw shooting team. Is it fifty? It's like fifty eight percent or so. Yeah, no, it's it's high fifties. It is fifties. All right. Yeah, we were close to sixty before that game. So. What's the next closest in the uh, in the Big Ten? Do you think? Mm, I don't know. the The only team that's lower in Division One basketball is St. Louis. Oh. <laughs> There's one team that's lower in all of of Division One, which is 357 teams or 59 teams or something like that. Yeah. So we know where where we can improve. That's yeah. uh that's, yeah uh, that seems yep. low. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if uh, the St. Louis Billikens podcast Boomer is having such a similar discussion. Maybe we should bring those guys on. <laughs> yeah, they're probably not enjoying it. But actually, Arkansas Pine Bluff is appears to be below us, just barely too. It's not oh. by a lot, but so oh. yeah, it's. It, it, it's not great, yeah. Okay, Anybody, but does anyone agree with me that after after a certain point in the season, if you're still around fifty percent, we should start making these guys shoot, Granny? I mean, until <laughs> until you get worse, better, well, no, no, they absolutely won't get worse, but it might be embarrassing enough to get better. That's my thinking. Shame them into performance. Jerry West was one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time, and he shot uh, underhand the whole his whole career. And I will say uh, the next uh, Big Ten team that's a terrible free-throw shooting team is actually Rutgers. They're a 65% uh, free-throw shooting team. So they're, they're the next one on the list that I can see and immediately. And they're actually doing okay. They make up for it in other ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I would say that, to be honest with you, you can break all the numbers down you want, but I would say that, uh, I don't know, 90% of basketball players probably hit between 60 and 80% over their free throws. And a small percentage is better than that. And a small percentage is less than that. And it just kind of depends on who's on your team and you can do all you want, but most teams are going to average in the low seventies. Going back 50 years, most NBA players are like about 70, 75% yeah. free throw shooting. And that's just, just the way it is. It's either not practiced enough and it's just hard to do. You know what they say about stats? 60% of the time it works. Every time. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, always uh, an off-season podcast that can go on for hours. Uh, Honky, is there anything else you'd like to tackle tonight? No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get out of here with some parting shots. Are you ready? Well, I always have a couple of parting shots. So my first uh, parting shot goes out to Redcast Rob. And not all of you out there, Redcasters, know this, but the the Redcast is actually more than the four of us on this show. And I want to give a second to to give a, you know some shout outs to the other three guys that are really a part of this. We have Redcast Rob, we have 
uh, Swobes, our graphic designer. We have producer Skip. You've heard him multiple times. But Redcast Rob, he tweeted out something on Friday night that by his standards, because he's very unpopular, he went uh, it went viral. And he wrote a, a <laughs> CU tweet saying he was wearing a Husker football shirt at a gym in Colorado. And he goes, a dude mugs me and says, go Buffs. I make friendly and I ask him about their new coach. And the guy's reply was, we got a new coach? Question mark. That's it. That's the tweet. He got like 1,300 likes. <laughs> and again, this is not a likable dude. But you know what? But we love you, Rob. You're a great dude. But uh, I just I want to give a shout out to these other guys that are that they are every bit as much the Redcast as we are. They just aren't on the show. And the other tweet that I sent out tonight, and it is getting a great response right away, and it's something that I was expecting. And this is a more positive one. This gets back to the positivity of the Redcast. We're very positive, right? Sure. Um Got a crazy idea for Twitter, but here goes. Uh, whether you're the biggest Kool-Aid drinking optimist or prove it realist, let us know these three things. Number one, the date I started to be a Husker fan. Number two, the reason I became a fan. And number three, what I enjoy most about supporting the Big Red. And I sent that out about two, three hours ago. 55 responses so far. I haven't even had a chance to read through them. But uh, that tells me, and that's just on Twitter. I sent it out on Facebook, too, and I think we got about that many responses. So that tells me that there is some interest there in just being positive. Let's let's always remember the things that bring us together. I don't care if you're an optimist or realist. Mm-hmm. There's more that brings us together than, than separates us. One United Husker Nation is, is the greatest thing to be a part of. And uh, that's, why, agree. that's why we do this show. We argue as friends and we have disagreements about free throws and kicking and all those things. But at the end of the day, man, united behind the Big Red is the, the greatest feeling a fan can possibly have. Is that a presidential campaign promise there, Honky, or a Super Tuesday victory speech or something? I don't. A vote for Honky is a vote for. <laughs> for the Big <laughs> Red. Know. Yeah, yeah, there you go. All right, thanks, Honk. Uh, Boomer, what do you got for me? Uh, well, I was going to reference Honky's uh, tweet that he put out since he takes about 87 hot take or, <laughs> you know, parting shots. He's bound to take one of ours at some point. I was kind of curious to everybody else's response to uh, Honky's question. When you uh, when you became a Husker fan, why you became a fan, and what you enjoy most about it, I was kind of curious to hear you guys. Oh, uh, so ours personally, right? Yes, please. So it's the first yes. question? Yeah, when did you become a fan? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember when I wasn't a fan, so I, I can't really recall when I became a fan. So I'll say immediately when I, I, I gained conscious, I guess. Uh, second question? Uh, why? Or the reason why you became a fan, if you weren't born into it, I suppose? I was born into it 100%. Uh, you know, love sports with my dad, and, all, and um, it was just something that was absolutely a, a part of my childhood. And what do you enjoy most about it, Dave? All of this. Uh, I love having these conversations. I just, I, I, I love sports and the competition of it. And I think, you know, as Husker fans, we should be grateful that we've had so many uh, great um, seasons and storylines to follow. Not all sporting fans, uh, fans of teams have as much success as we've had in the past. I know it's rough right now, but many other fans of teams, professional and college, go through decades and decades of uh, mediocrity so well I'll, I'll give you my three and then maybe mac this could be your parking shot is just giving your three is mine was 1983 that was the first year i started watching it the kickoff classic against penn state i specifically remember that game and then that whole season we're number one from start to finish we have the outland and lombardi and heisman trophy winner uh the two-point conversion all of that um the reason i became a fan mom and dad grandparents um we're a Husker family. Simple as that. 
And uh, why why do I enjoy supporting the Big Red? I love the road trips. I love the Sea of Red. There's nothing better than being part of uh, one United Husker Nation. That's that's why I responded to it. Mac, how about you? Um, I would say the date I started becoming a Husker fan. When my sister was born in 1981, we moved to uh, Manchester, Iowa, which was gross. <laughs> and uh, while we were there, Iowa must have been going through some sort of uh, – Golden era. I don't know. They, I don't know if they made it to a uh, Rose Bowl within that time frame. Between between eighty one and eighty five, when we, we moved back, but Aiden Fry, they beat us and they, they it, it solidified how much I disliked Iowa and how much I loved the Huskers at the time. Rosier was a big deal. Um, I just remember us, you know, being fast and exciting, and how sensitive uh, Hawkeye fans would get when I talked to them about beating them. Um, let me see. The reason I became a Husker fan, I mean, it was just Saturday mornings in the fall or Saturday afternoons in the fall. That was what was on the radio. I'm like every room, the garage, the basement, upstairs, the radio was on. The Husker football was part of it. I would watch my dad watch Notre Dame games with the Husker music on in the back or Husker sound on the background going, I don't understand what the, the nothing's happening on the screen. That's <laughs> happening on the, like what I'm hearing. It was like, you know, he, he taught me about it, but uh, what was the final question about that? Like, um, what do you enjoy most about it? I guess, essentially what I enjoy most about it. I, I love college football for the, for the pageantry. I love the excitement that's built up. I love the, I love the, the tailgating, the uh, getting together, the making the plans of like 13 weeks of your of your fall. It's like, well, I will the Huskers play. You know, I'm like you don't. What are you going to do Saturday? Well, why are you even asking me what I'm doing Saturday? The Huskers play. It's an away game. Doesn't matter. You know, so that kind of stuff. It's the thing that I'm the most excited about for the younger generation is if when Frost gets this thing rolling. For the younger generation to see what Lincoln's all about when the Huskers are good, it, I, I'm I'm tickled pink about it. I, I can't wait for There's it. From nothing my better. All right, great stuff, guys. Great stuff. That is a uh, a deep uh, parting shot there. So, all right, for for now, let's call that a go big red cast. Go big red. Here we are.